evening, everyone. Tonight, we're becoming crushed under a tidal wave of unfathomable numbers. By one count, over a million have now been infected by coronavirus worldwide since the start of this outbreak. A bystander's cell phone video captured the incident Monday night. A Minneapolis officer pinning George Floyd face down, pressing a knee into his neck. The nation erupted into scenes of chaos, violence, and widespread destruction into the early morning hours. Dozens of American cities up in flames after some protests turned into riots. Across the U.S., murders have skyrocketed this year, while nonviolent offenses have largely dropped. That is according to publicly available crime data. But the efforts to curb homicides comes at a time when police departments are facing both staffing shortages because of the pandemic and lingering distrust in communities of color. The 2020 election, unrest in the streets, and a crippling pandemic. This trifecta of events made people worried about the future of America. And when people are worried in America, they buy guns. Gun sales in 2020 have surged, and the market for gun parts and ammunition has gone up. Yeah, well, this is what Democrats do when they don't want to actually solve a problem. They find a scapegoat, and in this case, they have chosen the police, and they've also chosen to talk about race ad nauseum, as if that is the biggest problem facing our nation when we have much bigger problems. But what's going on in our cities right now, it's not just one simple thing. It's not just the defund the police movement. There are so many variables at play here, but it's also a culture of lawlessness. It's not only been through this defund the police BLM movement, but also through a lot of different policies that have been going on not just the last year but the last several years in new york city we've got our cashless bail you've got prison reform you've got all kinds of reform when it comes to not only your police departments but how they look at crime how they reclassify felonies as misdemeanors to get more people back out on the streets and that's looked to as prison reform but what is actually created is a culture of lawlessness and a culture of people not really understanding the consequences of their actions because there have been fewer consequences for these actions you know a lot of people have tried to blame criminal justice reform, bail reform, our massive decarceration both in New York City but across the state. Um, but when you look across the country, gun violence and murders have risen in blue states, red states, um, urban areas, rural and suburban areas. This is something that's happening across the country, which is another reason why it's going to take a while for us to really assess what exactly led to this. And there's no one factor. There's never one factor. I am Brother Cornell West. This is Chris Hedges. I'm Rosa Clemente. Hey, what's up? This is Chuck D, Public Enemy Prophets of Rage. And this is News Beat. Hey, everyone. This is Manny Faces, producer, audio editor, and host of the New York Press Club 2021 Journalism Podcast of the Year, News Beat, where we shine a light on underreported social justice issues to hopefully help spark meaningful change. And do it all with a sprinkling of music. And on some episodes, original lyrical contributions from brilliant independent hip-hop artists. Now for this episode, as you heard in the open, you've all likely seen the headlines and heard the terrifying talking points. Crime nationwide is up. Murders are up. Cities are dangerous. You're likely to be killed. It's all because of the liberals defunding police departments. Uh, those cries across the country for racial justice and such stats prove that we need more police, not less. Well, we thought we'd dig a little into all this to see what the hell's really going on. The truth is, any statistic can be spun for any political agenda without context. So here you go. Yes, murders are up in major cities across the United States, within both blue and red municipalities, including some that increased police budgets. Huh. 
Now, while some cities modestly reduced police budgets following last year's uprisings, nonviolent crime is actually down pretty much across the board. And as our guests will explain, more police is probably not the answer, being that over-policing black and brown communities is what fueled our nation's mass incarceration crisis and its vicious, self-perpetuating cycle of depriving those neighborhoods of its mothers and fathers and contributing to many of the systemic conditions breeding perpetual poverty, psychological distress, and crime. These conditions are exacerbated by the pandemic and crippling cuts in critical social programs. These underlying incubators do not get addressed. Instead, their manifestations are weaponized by talking heads to actually triple down on their very propellants. More cops. So articulating all this for us way better than I can are Takenya Nixon, an assistant public defender with the law office of the Cook County Public Defender encompassing Chicago, Akilah Lacey, a politics reporter at The Intercept, and Anna Harvey, professor of politics and affiliated professor of data science and law at New York University. All right, here we go. This is Caution, Misleading Crime Stats. The rhetoric of all this violence is happening because police departments have been defunded is absolutely false. People just started talking about defund the police in 2020. If there are cities and municipalities that have scaled back the money that they were giving to the police department, that has not happened yet. Uh, because those budgets had already been passed and they're working through them now. It's a scare tactic to say that, oh, our money is being reduced, so therefore we cannot protect you. Well, you were unable to protect us from the very beginning. We are legitimately in the 1970s. When I was looking at that video, the crime is rivaling death wish in its randomness. By the way, the Asian hate crime in New York is overwhelmingly done by non-white, mentally ill, homeless people. Has nothing to do with Wuhan. Uh, but we got gas prices that are going through the roof. We got Jimmy Carter part two. We got crime. All I want is a Three's Company reboot and some Mr. Pibb, and I'll be right at home. The shootings that have happened in Chicago happen all the time. We all know, if you live in Chicago, you know as soon as it gets warm, shootings increase. You know, sometimes we have a little reprieve when it's cold outside. That didn't so much happen in 2020. Young men that we met on the south and west sides told us how easy it is to get illegal guns and why many never leave their homes without one. I know people who can't walk from their house to the store without a gun on them. Why is that a reality? Why do people feel like they have to have a gun on them? Because people getting killed left and right. It's sad. I got shot twice and I thought it had been gone, but I'm still here, so. That's God, I know that, that's with me, so. It's hell on earth. It ain't. It's hell on earth? Yeah, it's hell on earth. But there are many different factors that, that could be related to why that didn't happen. But defund the police is not saying dismantle the police department. You know, people aren't saying stop providing them money. We all recognize that the police department is a necessary agency to have. What people are saying is that take some of the millions of dollars that you give to these police departments every year, take some of that and put it into the community, pour into the community and help them, you know, live better lives so that we don't feel that we need to arrest and incarcerate so many people. People don't really think about what happened 
when you arrest and incarcerate a family member or a father or a mother, that is another person in that household that is missing, that is no longer providing stability and love. Major cities across this country are experiencing a rise in violent crime, with shootings in New York City up over 42% in the first half of this year compared to 2020. So what we're undertaking is going to hotspots across the country where they've cut funding for police and, and they're trying to highlight why that's a bad idea. They, they cut funding by one-sixth in New York City and shootings are dramatically higher. And I uh, went out to Portland as well and they cut almost 10% of their workforce in Portland a few months after the George Floyd tragedy. And their homicides are up 533%. There's a direct correlation that we're finding between cutting funding for police and, and the, the violent rise in crime. There has been a spike between 2019 and 2020 in gun violence and murders in particular and crimes involving guns. What is missing from a lot of coverage of that is the fact that we're talking about a one-year increase and we're talking about a one-year increase at a time when the country was thrown into an absolute crisis. What's also missing is that crime overall, we're talking about other types of crimes, nonviolent crimes, actually fell drastically over that same period. So the narratives that we're seeing, particularly that the country is falling into basically absolute mayhem, that this is a response to progressive aims of sort of criminal justice reform or elections of prosecutors who are, quote unquote, you know, not not doing their jobs is at best misguided and at worst sort of a willful attempt to mislead the public about the actual root causes of a crime as we understand them. So the increase in gun and uh, homicide violence is an increase compared to the last two or three years. It is still 70% below what we were seeing in the 90s uh, and somewhere around 50% below what we were seeing in the early 2000s. So there is an increase and it matters, but it is not this dramatic crime wave. Rapes are, are down, larceny is down, burglary is down, you know, all of the other things we think about, those are down. Despite the craziness of the last year and all the instability and the pain and suffering that's happened in this last year, all of those other categories are still at 2019 lows. There's not a one explanation for why we saw this this spike in, in gun violence and, and murders in the last year, but there is a quick attempt by many in mainstream media and particularly among politicians on the right to ascribe blame to you know any of the groups, whether it's Black Lives Matter protesters or progressive prosecutors or people who were talking about the issue of mass incarceration for this. When when experts and, and people who study this for a living try to provide context that we actually have no no understanding of this. And so we have a disproportionate focus on that that then feeds this loop of information and punditry and takes in the media. Police departments are incredible and law enforcement. Incredible. I met a lot of them backstage. You have them here. Incredible police. And with the Republicans, there'll be no defunding of the police. I can tell you that. There'll be no defunding. That's not working out too well. You see in Minnesota, Minneapolis, they're 
They're not doing too well. They defunded the police and they cut it. And it's a disaster. Crime is through the roof. But it is in other places. New York, it's through the roof. You have district attorneys are looking at Republicans and not looking at people that shoot people every day. It's a crazy. What's happening is so bad for this country, so dangerous for this country. People want other people to stop shooting and knifing people to death in, the, in broad daylight. Did you see the case in Chicago? Gets out of the car, starts shooting somebody, and they just said, we're not going to press charges. And he's right on tape and right on camera. The majority of police departments in the country have not been defunded. There were there were a couple of really significant votes to cut budgets in Los Angeles and some other cities last year. But the time that that would go into effect does not line up with the time that we're seeing these attacks on defunding. And in a U-turn from last year's decision to defund the, the police, Minneapolis now plans to spend big, big, to spend big on law enforcement to tackle a spike in violent crime. The council says it will inject six million dollars. Six million dollars. Well, recent data does suggest that the number of gunshot victims is up 250 percent compared to the same period last same year. The debate year. over police reignited again during today's virtual Oakland City Council meeting. Council member Shang Tao wants to add two more police academies in order to beef up OPD's staffing numbers. Dozens of Oaklanders logged on to let the council know where they stand. Um, I am calling, like many callers, to push back against a new police academy. We do not need it. We do not want it. We are also very much in favor of adding police academies. We were in the beginning um, when this first came up, and we still are. We believe that this is the only sensible thing to do at this point. Um, in order to address where we are with the violence. A study just out says hiring more police officers will not necessarily make a community safer and will have no significant impact on reducing crime. It may seem like common sense, more cops on the street means less crime. But according to a new study by two UC criminal science professors and a doctoral graduate student, that common sense is wrong. Even though we increased 100 police officers, let's assume, this year, should we expect any kind of crime reduction next year? I don't think so. Then how about decreasing 100 police officers this year and expecting crime increase next year? I don't think so. Over-policing, I think, does more damage than good. The job of a police officer is to respond to crime. It's not to prevent it. And so what ends up happening is that when you saturate particular neighborhoods with police officers who are already on edge, who already think that the people in that particular community are dangerous, that the majority of them are criminals and that the majority of them have guns, then they go in with a certain attitude. And it's not the attitude of officer friendly, that I'm here to help you, that I'm here to protect you. It is the attitude that each and every one of you is a suspect and I'm going to treat you like a suspect, regardless of your age, regardless of your gender. You are a suspect in my eyes, and so there's no respect. Raw, uncensored video showing how Chicago police responded to a stolen car report last summer. What unfolded once police spotted the vehicle amounted to a death foretold. The suspect, after all, was black. Oh, my God. 
As it turned out, the fleeing thief couldn't have shot anyone. He was unarmed. Chicago is trying to reform its police to end the impunity they've enjoyed for well over a hundred years, a history so brutal and so racist that the city's black residents often refer to the constabulary as an occupying force. And so when you have the oversaturation of police in black and brown communities specifically, the police foster the energy or the negative energy around people in the community not trusting and not liking the police and would rather not have them there because they don't see the police as somebody that's going to help them or someone that's going to stop what is happening in their neighborhoods. They see them as a threat, just as threatening as some of the people who might be causing some of the gun violence in their neighborhoods. Individuals also in the majority of the black and brown neighborhoods are exposed to, you know, subpar schooling and education. The Chicago public school system is, it's extremely unique in my dealings with school systems. And I'm a product of the public school. Here in Chicago, they have magnet schools and the magnet schools are actually public schools. You just have to test into them. And, and those magnet schools are top rated schools. So the Chicago public school system has shown that they can provide high level public education, but they only provide it to people who they feel are deserving of it and who can test into those schools. The Chicago public school system is horrible, to say the least. I had gone through 13 years of schooling and I had never read a book. When I went off to college, I wasn't prepared at all. Our communities that need the resources the most to get students to college are the ones that lack it. Driving through the streets of Chicago, my hometown, it's not hard to see the difference from one neighborhood to the next. Take Halstead Street, the backbone of Chicago. You can start on Halstead in Lincoln Park on the north side, where rows of beautiful townhouses line the street. But travel south 10 miles until you reach 63rd Street, just around the corner from Harold's Chicken, and suddenly you're in a very different part of town. Nor is the difference more startling than in Chicago's public schools. So this right here used to be an elementary school. Um, this is one of the 50 schools that Rom shut down. The community suffers. Other than that, you would then have to go to your neighborhood schools, and they're all on a rated tier system. I checked, and in my neighborhood, most of those schools fall in the below average or average to below average school system. So if I were to have a child and my child did not test into one of these magnet schools, then I would either have to pay for private school, which most poor people cannot afford that, or I would have to send my child to a neighborhood school, which is a failing school. And so when you have generations upon generations of people who are receiving a failing education, who have no access to mental health services, who live in food deserts. So the quality of food that they're eating is full of sugar and starch and things that are wreaking havoc on their bodies and on their systems. No, their minds are not going to function properly and they may have anxiety and they may have anger. So I think what needs to happen is that we need to heal the communities. And one way of doing that is not by adding additional police to cause 
more anxiety and more trauma. It is to add services to the neighborhoods in forms of drug treatment, mental health, after school activities to keep the children active, as well as improving the educational system for everyone. Defund the police is being put to mayors across the country, but it means different things depending on who you're asking. To some protesters, defund means disband. Some organizers don't go so far. They interpret defund literally, as in just spend less on a police presence and weapons and spend more on education and housing. We do have a problem which is that murders are still happening. Whether it's below or above the murder rate from last year or the year before, we're not saying that there shouldn't be a response to any kinds of crime, right? That there shouldn't be, um, we shouldn't be taking notice of the uptick in homicides and murders. The, the real issue for us is what is the correct response? What is the correct response? You know, I think one thing that many of us find kind of frustrating about the conversation revolving around criminal justice reform is that it seems like you ought to put the problem first, right? Like start with the problem and work backwards to solutions. And the problem is safety, like in terms of the public good that we're trying to provide with the entire criminal justice apparatus, it's safety, safety for individuals, safety for communities. So a lot of people focus on policing or prosecution. Instead, you think about the outcome and you, and you go through the literature. There are lots of strategies to provide safety, many of which revolve around providing more support and structure for our young adults. So programs that provide summer jobs, you know, after school opportunities, any kind of opportunities to stay in, in the school environment for a longer period of time more opportunities to have adult eyes on the street as kids are going back and forth from school to home. They don't have to be police officers, they just need to be adult eyes on the street. And many of the, the kind of, we call them place-based strategies for providing safety are things like, you know, turning vacant lots into parks, you know, greening public spaces. And one of the mechanisms that we think drives that, the protective effect of those spaces in on safety in neighborhoods is that they draw adults out of their houses and apartments. There's a variety of strategies that deal with things with substance abuse. So substance abuse is a real driver of violent crime, particularly alcohol abuse. It's interesting, we tend to ignore how dangerous alcohol is and we focus on things like marijuana or, or more addictive kinds of drugs, but alcohol is actually the prime driver of criminal behavior. And so programs that, that help individuals deal with alcohol issues are important and having those available and accessible. There's a variety of kinds of, of social service programs that address sort of short-term economic stress, ranging from housing assistance to simply short-term cash assistance for families and individuals who need help. There's another bucket that involves mental health and providing more services for those who are um, are struggling with mental health issues. And mental health and substance abuse are, are often linked to um, not having a home to go to at the end of the day. So those those kinds of those issues tend to be all interrelated. And and you know, there's a variety of studies that have shown that intervening to provide more support for individuals struggling with these kinds of issues 
not only directly helps individuals live more healthy and fulfilling lives, but also reduces the likelihood that they get engaged in violent crime. Many of those connected services and programs and supports just evaporated during the COVID pandemic just because of, you know, concerns, just the, the level of social contact dropped significantly and, you know, and the courts closed and, you know, and, and many programs closed and it was hands off for many people. So A, many of the, the social services were less available or available only virtually. And we have no idea kind of how effective that is. The second thing is we know that there are programs that when, when you provide financial assistance to families that are in short-term stress, that can reduce violent crime. And much to the consternation of the general public and the demonstrators on Wall Street, there's not been a single prosecution of a high-ranking Wall Street executive or major financial firm, even though fraud and financial misrepresentations played a significant role in the meltdown. There's a lot here in terms of what crimes actually get focused on. We saw a pivot to focusing on gun violence, particularly in large cities, majority black cities, sort of trying to draw a parallel between that and, and protests against police brutality. When in reality, the proportion of attention that we pay to crimes of poverty and sort of, you know, what people sometimes call poverty porn and these narratives that we see pushed around villainizing certain groups of people or certain cities as sort of a way to talk about I guess the failures of society and what so often is missing from that is context on the conditions that lead people to commit certain crimes of poverty or, or things like that. And also a lack of understanding of in what I'm talking about, like, you know, white collar crimes. We, we don't often see a connection between those two things or an explanation for why in a country with, you know, rising inequality as we do in the U.S. that we're only talking about crimes of poverty and we're not talking about the financial crimes that set up the society in a way that it is to, to fail people. And on the flip side of that, why is the response to that more policing when obviously police budgets and, and police forces in major cities have seen their budgets increase? Since 2007, the United States has collectively spent over $100 billion on policing annually. That number has increased dramatically in the past 35 years. In 1980, police spending was just around $47 billion adjusted for inflation. But by 2015, spending skyrocketed to almost $143 billion, an increase of over 200%. I want to draw this parallel again with white collar crime because I, I think about this a lot when we're talking about funding police departments and you talk about sort of what police are supposed to be doing or what they spend their time doing. You know, we live in a capitalist society and we reward companies for excelling or meeting meeting their marks and meeting their their yearly goals. And with police, it's the complete opposite. Police can solve a fewer number of crimes every year. They can force their, their departments to spend tens of millions of dollars in, in settlement funds for, for violating people's constitutional rights. They can themselves have rampant misconduct issues within the department. And yet we still increase their budgets every year and turn to them to solve every problem in society. Now that's the critical context we need. Thanks for listening. If you learned as much as I did from this incredibly important episode and from our guests, please make sure you subscribe to the Newsbeat podcast wherever you listen to pods, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, all the places. And don't forget, we have a lot more for you now, free, 
at our Substack newsletter. Go to newsbeat.substack.com. As always, big shout out to all of our guests and our parent company, HubSpot partner agency, Mori Creative Studios. They help mission-driven organizations achieve sustainable growth and in doing so, help make this crazy world a little bit less so. From renewable energy and sustainable packaging to anti-racism and climate justice education, Mori Creative Studios helps purpose-oriented companies across diverse industries grow for good. Check them out at moricreative.com. For us, any questions, suggestions, concerns, or comments, email us at usnewsbeat at gmail.com. Follow us on social networks at usnewsbeat. And for more about us in general, including all of our past episodes, extended guest and artist bios, and much more, you can always visit usnewsbeat.com. And once again, my name is Manny Faces, which makes sense because Newsbeat is produced in part by mannyfacesmedia.com. Now, on behalf of our editor-in-chief, Chris Tawarski, our managing editor, Rashid Mian, our art director, Jeff Main, and our executive director, Jed Mori, thank you again for listening. We'll be back soon. Peace. <laughs>